It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Janice Dean. I'm David Asman. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, July 14th, 2022. I'm Alex Hogan. A new Russian airstrike has killed and wounded civilians in central Ukraine. This attack was sent from a submarine. As the war drags on, international committees are trying to assess the extent of the war crimes so far. It will be in the thousands, tens of thousands, if not more, as the war continues and as officials are able to properly document the crimes. This is the Fox News Rundown War on Ukraine. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says this latest attack deliberately targeted civilians. As the death toll rises, dozens are still missing and among the dead are children. It's a critical story in the developments that continue with the war in Ukraine. This is Fox News foreign correspondent Trey Yinkst, who spent much of the year in Ukraine covering the war. According to Ukrainian officials, the city of Venezia was targeted by at least one Russian cruise missile today that was fired from the Black Sea, a Russian submarine hitting a residential area and killing at least 20 people, injuring dozens of, of others. And this is Important to note, because largely speaking, there has been a shift in the phase of this war. There was an operational pause by the Russians after they were able to take new territory in the eastern part of the country. But this shows that they are still targeting cities throughout Ukraine with cruise missiles. And it shows that civilians really have no place to hide. And with the death toll rising and more investigations underway to determine exactly how many civilians have been killed since this war began, the focus for the international community has certainly lessened. And it is really important to stay focused on this story because the war continues and U.S. intelligence officials are extremely concerned that as the Ukrainians prepare for the possibility of a massive counteroffensive, if they are not supported enough, they could lose and they would lose significant pieces of territory ahead of the winter. Yeah, and exactly. Speaking about this, this town, this latest attack of Venezia, it's by no means a small town in the middle of nowhere. This has a population of about 370,000 people. Absolutely. And when you have areas that are targeted in the central part of Ukraine, it's just another reminder that the Russians are able to hit infrastructure throughout this country. They're able to fire cruise missiles from their own territory, from submarines and ships in the Black Sea, and even from Belarus. And so while many Ukrainians have returned since the war shifted into this new phase where much of the ground fighting is in the eastern part of the country, really no place is safe. And it's part of the reason that officials across Ukraine, including Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, have urged caution. And when sirens go off in any city across Ukraine, they are still calling on civilians to get underground and get to shelters so that they can be out of harm's way if cruise missiles do hit the city that they're located in. 
Yeah. And that's something that you and I both know from having been there and you've covered it so extensively that living in any kind of conflict, any kind of crisis, it's human nature that these sirens, if anything, become normalized, that there isn't that same sense of urgency to run to shelter after hearing the sound for what is now going on five months. But this is a clear example of just how important it is to listen to those warnings. Certainly. And there are thousands of people in each and every city who are trying to go about their lives. There was a statistic today discussing the number of people who got married around the capital of mm-hmm. Kiev, for example, since the war began. And people are simply trying to live amid a conflict that not everyone has the ability to get away from. And you covered this extensively throughout Ukraine and the region, how many millions of people left, but not everyone has the resources. They don't have the money. They don't have the ability to get out of the country. And so it creates what is often really an unfair situation for many civilians who have to stay in their homes, who have to live in a country that is now consumed by war. And there is no end in sight. There are no peace talks underway. The only negotiations that are taking place right now have to do with the export of grain. And there's a lot of Mm -hmm. pressure on officials in Moscow to allow Ukrainian grain to be exported and ultimately feed the world. But in terms of a a stable peace deal, we're not looking at anything on the horizon right now. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, he called this latest attack an open act of terrorism, which is something that we have heard him say before. And at the same time as this attack, while there are no major negotiations that could take place to potentially bring peace right now, representatives from about 40 countries are meeting in the Netherlands for the International Criminal Court. So what they're doing, they're talking about ways to coordinate, to seek justice for these war crimes. And and let's look back a little bit and remind some of our listeners, given the fact that it's, again, been nearly five months now since the war broke out. Walk us through some of these claims of war crimes and what the residents who remain there, the people who have come back, what they've experienced and what they've seen. What I've found quite interesting and really sad is that the proper number of war crimes that has been basically tallied and recorded is quite low right now. It's in the hundreds, but officials believe it will be in the thousands, tens of thousands, if not more, as the war continues and as officials are able to properly document the crimes. We can look at a couple examples in the Kiev suburb of Bucha, where mass graves were discovered, and many of the bodies recovered from these graves were of civilians who had been executed. Some had their hands tied behind their back, indicating that they were victims of Mm. suspected war crimes. And so there are these examples across the country since the war began. Another example, the mid-March bombing of a theater in Mariupol where hundreds of civilians were trying to shelter from the Russian bombings. Each and every one of these incidents comes with a new set of challenges. How do you document, how do you organize, and then actually properly bring that information to the International Criminal Court? And so the meetings that are taking place in the Netherlands today are discussing just that. How can you organize all of this information and then properly prosecute those who are responsible for committing these acts of violence against innocent civilians amid the war. 
And we know historically the ICC is a body that is challenged in its ability to quickly move through cases and also to bring people to justice. It's a very complicated uh, thing to do. And when you have so many war crimes being documented at the same time, it adds to that list of challenges. We've seen this in a place like Syria, for example, where many war crimes were being committed, but the ICC just simply couldn't move quickly enough to prosecute those responsible. So that's part of what these countries, as you said, more than 40 are trying to do today, send representatives to the Netherlands to meet with officials from the ICC and discuss a way to coordinate the efforts to bring these people who are responsible, the Russian soldiers and generals, basically bring them to justice and and to get justice for those who were killed or injured amid this war. You're listening to Fox News foreign correspondent Trey Yingst. He spent much of the year in Ukraine and now is discussing the ongoing war. More on this coming up after the break. Now, on one hand, that's what we're looking at, trying to seek justice, but continuing to fight and protect their territory. So Ukrainian troops are also taking some shots of their own right now. Ukrainian forces, they struck another Russian ammunition depots. These are images that you can see the massive crater in Kherson on Tuesday. So how is this now really changing the dynamic of the war and Ukraine's offensive in fighting back? So those who observe the war closely, many of these Western intelligence analysts believe the Russians are taking what they're describing as an operational pause. But that is not necessarily an indicator that the fighting will decrease in the eastern part of the country. Russian forces have taken significant territory in recent weeks around critical areas in the Donbass region. And so the Ukrainians are still trying to launch limited counteroffensives in different places along the front lines. And we still haven't seen any more information in the past 48 hours about this large counteroffensive that the defense minister in Ukraine says President Zelensky has ordered, but the Ukrainians are going to do whatever they can to slow the Russian advance in the areas that it is not paused. And they're going to do whatever they can to take back the territory that was captured. They want to liberate the villages and towns and cities that are currently being occupied by Russian troops. And it's a very difficult task, but they do have heavier weapons that they've received in recent weeks to do so. They have these artillery systems that have been provided by the United States, the shells and ammunition needed to fire back from a distance, and also some of these medium range rocket systems that the Ukrainians have promised the Americans they will not use to fire inside Russian territory. So this ammunition depot, for example, it's currently sitting in an area that used to be under Ukrainian control. So that is considered a prime target for the Ukrainians because they want to hit as many of these ammunition stockpiles as they can to make it more difficult for the Russian forces to restock, resupply their troops on the front lines as they look to take more territory. And as you mentioned earlier, when we were talking, 
there really has been kind of a scale back of of attention that we've seen on this story, just given the fact of how long it's continued for, but it has not been out of the focus when we're looking at international summits. So that is what we saw at the G7 in Germany several weeks ago, then NATO in Spain, and then the G20 meeting in Bali last week. There's been an enormous amount of support in having conversations about what is needed in Ukraine during the invasion. But what are some of the shipments that we're really seeing? How are those words really translating to action in terms of military support from around the world to Ukraine? One of the largest complaints right now from the Ukrainians is the timeline and the delay for weapons to get into the country. There's a real understanding that if these heavy weapons don't make it there quick enough, and if they aren't restocked and resupplied quick enough, that the Russians will maintain this advantage in war because they have very solid supply lines set up. If you look at any of these operational maps, the Russians have been able to secure enough territory that they can directly supply their frontline troops with weapons that originate in Russia from a variety of different areas. And while the focus for many world leaders remains on Ukraine, the buzz and the interest in this story is certainly down, but it doesn't mean that countries aren't stopping their efforts to support Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a variety of, of responses that we're seeing across the board. One interesting thing came today, actually, when President Biden was speaking alongside Israeli Prime Minister Yair Lapid, and he wanted to make very clear that the Americans on the world stage, while everyone was listening, still support the Ukrainian people and Ukraine as a country. So he took this opportunity during a discussion about other issues like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and Iran to make a statement about Ukraine. Interestingly enough, Today, we found out that the Israeli defense ministry started to supply Ukraine with additional aid. While Israel is not supplying Ukraine with weapons, they are supplying the Ukrainians with things like ambulances and medical supplies. And just today, the Israelis announced they will be giving Ukraine 1,500 helmets, 1,500 protective vests, and hundreds of mine-clearing protective suits. So the level of support varies depending on what country we're talking about but there is this understanding that if support wavers too much or if it is cut off from certain supply lines it could mean disaster for the ukrainian military as they look to reclaim their country trey yinkst a fox news foreign correspondent in israel trey thanks so much for your time thank you listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.